to go and I like to review, you know, where, whatever I'm doing, wherever I'm going, hotel, something like that. I love to kind of know what other people's experiences were. But I had never written a review myself until a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, I, uh, I needed to take my car in for an oil change. And, uh, and you know how that goes. So take the car in for the oil change. And, and then a couple minutes after uh, I'm there, the technician comes out and tells you what? You, have, you need more work to be done, right? And so, you know, your $25 oil change turned into something a little bit more. And I, I discovered that I had a, 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 I had a nail in my tire and I had a small radiator leak. And, and so I did what we all did would do. I declined the work. And, you know, and then I said, well, I probably should get some of this fixed. And so I said, how long is it going to take? They said, 30 minutes. I said, perfect. Let's do that. Go into the lobby, sit down, open up whatever magazine they have there, sitting there waiting and waiting. 30 minutes comes, 45 minutes comes, hour and 15 minutes comes, hour and 45 minutes late, later, they come in and they say, hey, your car, your car's ready. I said, great. And I was real short with the, with the manager in the, in the office. And, you know, I said, great. You told me 30 minutes, whatever. Just give me the keys. I know that's what you expect from a pastor, right? Right. I said, give me the keys. Let's go. And uh, so get, get the keys, pay the money, drive, go to work, come out of work, come to my car and the tire that they worked on is flat. And so I have to, I'm thinking, what in the world did they happen? The car was fine when it had a nail in it, but now it's broke, right? And so we get it fixed, and I go in there the next morning, and I am hot. I'm, I am upset. And I come marching into there. I come talking to the manager, and, I, and I'm like, the tire that you guys were supposed to fix, it didn't get fixed. And here's what, there, there was this response. It's not our fault. When you left here, the car was in working condition. It's not our fault. Boy, was I hot, right? And I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm not a very um, aggressive person. Rather, I became very passive in that moment. I thought, okay, great. And so I had a moment there where I could have chose something. I could have chose to suspect the worst about them, or I could have chose to believe the best. And so I did what any good, loving, honest, honorable pastor would do. I suspected the worst, and I decided to write a review about them. And I brought that review with us. If you could put this up for me on the sermon slides part, please. Thank you. Said, went in for an oil change and discovered I needed a radiator hose and a plug for a nail in the tire. Made an appointment for the work, which I was told would take about 30 minutes. Took them an hour 45. That same day, in my very descriptive. At the, after work, I come out to my car, discover it was flat, uh, the same tire. And I said, I do not recommend this place. And am a little worried about the other work they did to my car. I will not be back, right? Take that oil change place, right? Now, have, and it was in that moment where I kind of had an epiphany, where I kind of realized I might have an issue with anger sometimes, right? Have, have, you ever, have you ever wondered if you've had an issue with anger before? Now, some of you are looking at me that like you have never dealt with anger in your life. You're looking at me like, like you always respond lovingly. Like when you pull onto the 805 and someone cuts you off, you respond to them with a, with a scripture verse. Oh, God bless them. They know not what they do, right? I'm sure when your kids get you up and your kids have just driven you up a wall, I'm sure that you respond to them by laying your hands on them with prayer. 
God bless these little children. Let them come unto me, right? I know when you're at work and you've been working hard on a project and someone comes along, the slacker, the person that no one likes, shows up and takes credit for your work. I know that you respond with just, oh, you know what? God bless them, right? I know that that's everything. Well, for some of us, for the rest of us who, who wrestle with anger at times in our life, we, we need to unpack this a little bit. And here's what you're going to be surprised as we wade into this territory of anger, is that anger is not just a male issue. Anger is not just a female issue. Anger is not just your dad's issue. Anger is an issue that many of us deal with as we're going to discover this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to give some context for us. Are we working back there? Is all the slides and stuff good? Okay. I'm going to give some context for us. Before we jump into it, now Matthew, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and what they are, they're Gospels, they're considered the Gospels, and these were people that uh, they wrote about the person of Jesus, that Jesus shows up and they kind of give their account, they kind of give their eyewitness account about who this person was and what he did and how he operated. Well, in Matthew chapter 5, what we have is we have one of the most famous passages really in all of the scripture. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount was, was this uh, time in which Jesus started to call people to follow him. But as he called them to follow him, he kind of had to reteach them some things. They had picked up some things along the way that Jesus really needed to reframe. He really he needed to re, kind of reteach them. But the big question was, as Jesus shows up and he invites us to live a new way, well, how do we do that? How do we live this new way Jesus was inviting us to live? And that's what he begins to unpack in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have uh, your Bibles and you have a copy of the scripture and you're in Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse 20, would you say, I got it? it. All right. We're going to have it on the screen just for you. So it says this. Jesus says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now pause there for a moment. He says, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You will not be able to enter into this new uh, way that I am calling you to live. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, their righteousness uh, essentially were the best people that they knew. They were the most righteous. They were the most moral. And just to help us kind of get to that point, who, who would you say was one of the best per- people that ever lived, right, in history? Jesus is off the table, now, and, and the disciples, right, anybody from the Bible. Now, now, anybody in history, like, who would you say, man, wow, they were like, they were, they were, they were the, one of the best people that ever, ever lived or ever walked the earth. Who would you say that was? Okay, Abraham Lincoln. Who else? Mother Teresa, great. Who else? Martin Luther King, great. Anybody else? Who else? Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers, yes. Right, right, right. Who else? Who else? What is it? Barack, who else? Okay. So what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is saying is that unless the way that you live your life is better than Martin Luther King, is better than Mother Teresa, is better than Abraham Lincoln, is better than these people that you think are the best, you don't get in. 
Unless you are able to not only match the way that they live their life, but exceed it, then you don't get in. Now, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, there is no hope for me, I might as well go home right now and begin to watch the beginning coverage of the Oscars, right? But here's the thing, here's the thing, you're right, you're right. And that was Jesus' point, that nobody can get in until, until, Jesus would use language like this, until you've been born again. Another way, that, another way that you can say this is until, until you have received a new heart. You see, I'm not going to dive into this this morning, but it's important for us. And if you are a follower of Christ, this is how it plays out. And this is what it looks like. Is that when you make a decision to follow Jesus, what Jesus says, he says, come and follow me. And when we place our trust into Jesus, what Jesus begins to do is that he gives us a heart transplant. He puts his heart, he puts his spirit into us. But here's the thing also. Some of us made that decision 30 years ago, 15 months ago, and our life hasn't moved at all. And that's because he invites us to follow him. We, we, we take steps, we move at him. But as we do that, what God is doing is that he is, re, he is repurposing, he is reinvigorating our life through his heart and through his spirit that he has placed in us. So that's why he can say, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the, of the, of the best people you know, you're not going to get in. The only way you get in is if I get to put my new heart and spirit into your life. And so he goes on. Because he begins to deal with the thing that we need to deal with if we're going to become kingdom people in verse 21. In verse 21, he says this. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not, What? Murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Have you ever, have you ever had to correct somebody that didn't know what they were talking about? Right? Have you ever, you ever been in a coffee shop and you hear somebody talking about maybe a sports thing or maybe it's about like a, like a, like a best restaurant thing and you're like, man, I really want to correct them. Yeah. Right? It's like they're talking about how Kobe Bryant's the best basketball player and we all know it's LeBron, right? They're talking about that stuff and you want to deal with that, right? Jesus, Jesus, what he is doing is that he, he's going to give us these things called antitheses. There's six of them. And six times Jesus will say, you have heard that it was said long ago, but I tell you. And what Jesus is doing is he's not rewriting scripture. He's not rewriting what God had spoken. Rather, he's reframing it. He, he's, he's putting it in a different light. You understand it to be this way. You have heard it said, you shall not murder. But what I am going to tell you, what I'm doing is that I'm actually properly, properly interpreting what God originally intended. You, you, you stop here. You think it's about murder. You think as long as I don't murder anybody, which how many of you, that's a good day for you, right? You're like, whew. Murdered lots of people on the road as I drove by this morning, right? right? But, but he says, you think it's about murder, but what I'm telling you is that it's actually about your anger. He says, because your anger is the thing that births murder. Nobody wakes up a murderer, but it starts with anger. And so he begins to deal with this like core issue in, the, in our life. And it's so interesting to me that Jesus gives those six statements. You've heard it said, but I tell you. And he lays out six things. And of all the things that Jesus could have began with, he begins with murder? Murder. Is that really an issue in our society? In fact, let me ask you this question. If you, if I, if I gave you the power, whoop, 
That was me giving you the power, okay? So I, if I gave you the power to begin to heal humanity, if I gave you the power to begin to save the world, where would you begin? Environment. The environment, okay, what else? Hunger. hunger, you would end hunger, okay, what else? Nature, Nature okay, what else? Uh, forgiveness, okay, what else? If I, if, how, how many of you would say that sex trafficking is a bad thing? Say yeah. Right? How many of you, you would say that sickness is a bad thing? Say yeah. Right? How many of you would say injustice is a bad thing? Say yeah. Right? So, so, and how many of you, how many of you, it's like, could we just give everybody a puppy? You know what I mean? Like, like, could God, could we just give everybody a puppy or maybe we could just give everybody free Chick-fil-A for life? Like, that would solve at least my problem, right? But, but, but think about this. If you were to begin to save the world, if you were to begin to, to change humanity, if you were to begin to call people to live the way that God, if you were going to begin to invite people to live in the kingdom of God, where would you begin? Jesus begins with murder. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that we have a significant anger problem. We have a problem with anger. In fact, this is my whole point this morning. You have an anger problem. You have an anger problem. I have an anger problem. We have an anger problem. Because why else, why would Jesus begin in this point? And Jesus is going to begin to call people. He's going to begin to form a new kingdom people. And the first place he begins is anger. That tells me that we have an anger issue. Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't have an anger problem, right? Let them know. Let them know, I don't have an anger problem. But what I learn from the scripture is that Jesus is indicating that this is a big deal, that this is a problem, that in order for Jesus to get us to where we need to be, he has to first deal with the anger that's in our life. Now, here's my question. What is anger? What is anger? You can put this slide up. Anger is a response to where you feel powerless. Anger is a response to where you feel powerless. Think about the, think about the moments and the times where you were angry, right? Where you pull up to the, the stoplight and you can't see, but someone is just beeping their horn and beeping their horn and beeping their horn. You're like, what is going on? And then you see that they're beeping a horn at an old lady trying to, pass the, trying to cross the road. You're, you're, like, you're just indignant. You're just so upset. Or maybe you're on social media, you scroll down and you, you see something, you learn something and you just become so upset about that. Why did you get upset? Because you felt powerless to do anything about it. And this is what anger is. And this is why it was a big deal because Jesus knew that all of us, as he designed us to be in relationship with each other, whether that's through a spouse or our friendships or the places that we work or the places that we live, he knew this about you and me. He knew that we were gonna bump into each other. He knew that we were gonna bump heads at times. And he knew when that happens, if we don't deal with it, we're gonna feel powerless to it and anger is gonna be the outcome. Now, anger is not a bad thing. Some of you are like, isn't there this thing called righteous anger? Like, didn't Jesus get angry like when he, when he flipped the tables and when they did all that stuff? But you know what's funny about anger is that all of us think that our anger is under the umbrella of righteous anger, right? That person that cut me off on the 805, oh Lord, are they gonna hear it from me, right? 
And as, they, as, they, as you drive by them, you have your one flower hanging up, right? As they go by them, right? right? It, but we all think this. But here's the thing about Jesus. He was the son of God. He was perfect. So if Jesus is responding with what looks like anger, best believe that it was the right kind of anger. But I think for a lot of us, we, 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 we think it, it, oh, my anger is okay or it's justified and all that kind of thing. But what we're really dealing with is the powerless we feel to it. And one of the things, what, the ways that it plays out is that here's the pattern of anger. Here's the pattern very quickly. Is that something happens to us, something was said to us, or maybe something, nothing, maybe something didn't happen. And in, and it's in, but it's an offense and we get hurt by it. And then what happens when we don't deal with the offense, what happens when we don't deal with the hurt, is it leads us to this place where we get anger, angry and then we isolate. And, and guys are classic for this. Hey, hey man, how you doing? I'm good. Really? That thing was like really mean, that person just said. Doesn't matter, I'm good. Right? And then when we don't deal with it, it becomes bitterness in our hearts. And, and we start to resent that person. We start to resent our, our, our job. We start to resent our spouse. We start to resent. And then it leads us to this place of revenge. And, and revenge is one of those things where we always think of like the worst case scenario. It's like some weird you know, Netflix documentary you saw and like somewhere at revenge. But that's not revenge. Revenge is you deciding, you know what? Just not gonna talk to them anymore. You know what? I'm just gonna do my thing. You know what? Or you start talking about the other person behind their back and it plays out in this way. This is what anger does. But here's the thing also. We don't always think about who it affects. We don't think about who our, who our anger could potentially be impacting. Because when you get angry, it, it turns on this like two-year-old part of your brain where you're like, they hurt my feelings. And you can't see anything else that's happening. You don't realize how your anger might be impacting somebody watching your life. You don't see how your anger might be impacting a little 18-month-old daughter that you're trying to raise. You don't see how your anger might be impacting the coworker in your life. You know, I read something interesting about um, Hitler. Hitler, one of the worst people, right, ever to, to walk through. Now, some of you are like, can we say that in church? Yes, we can call a spade a spade, right? But one of the worst people ever, right, murdered millions of people. But I read about his early life. And you know what's interesting about his early life is he had this, like, overbearing father, who was aggressive and even borderline abusive with him. And as a young child, can you imagine your father, the one who's supposed to protect you, the one that's supposed to love you, is actually the one inflicting harm on you. And, and the offense, the hurt, and the anger that built up within his life, it never had a proper outlet for him. He goes through all the patterns of anger. He gets to this point where he can actually begin to exact his revenge, and he goes on to kill six million Jews. You see, that's something we don't ever think about is maybe how my anger might be impacting others. Now, do I, am I, do I think that you're Hitler because you get upset? No. But I wanted to paint a picture of where anger can lead you and how it plays out and who it affects. Now, here's why it's a big deal to Jesus. Because when it's not dealt with, when anger is not dealt with, what anger does is it finds its way to our hearts. In Proverbs 4 and 23 it says this, it says, it says, above all else, guard your hearts for everything you do flows from that place. Think about this. 
Proverbs, one of the most, the, the book of wisdom, the wisest guy ever that writes this. And he says, above all else, above all of your pursuits, above all of the things that you care about, above all the things that you think are important, above all the things that you, ways you think you should protect yourselves. He says, above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from that place. Everything you say, every motivation you have, every action that you live out, all comes from your heart. This is why it was a big deal to Jesus. Because he knew that if we don't deal with the anger issue in our life, it gets into our heart. And when it gets into our heart, it becomes a spiritual cancer in our life. Some of us are living out our lives, doing things we don't want to do, saying things we don't want to say, breaking relationships that we don't want to break, and we don't even realize it's because anger has gotten into your heart and you are living in response to your anger. And this is why Jesus says it's a big deal. We gotta deal with this. This is why when I begin to call people to live this kingdom life, when I want you to live this life that I have for you, one of the first things we got to deal with in your life is your anger. Where you've been hurt. We've gotta begin to deal with that because it becomes cancer in your life. But it also, anger has stages. Do You ever notice that? Anger has stages. It has this progressive nature to it. How many of you, you woke up this morning and you said, I am an angry person this morning, right? Some of you are like, yeah, my, my spouse didn't say it, but they might as well have said it, right? But, but how, many, how many of you, like, you just woke up one day and you just decided, I'm gonna be angry today? Nobody, because it's progressive. Something happens and then, and then we respond to it in a little bit. Jesus will tell us, uh, he, he kind of lays out this, this scenario in which he's explaining himself when he says, listen, anger is a big deal. Let me show you how this could play out in your life. He says this in verse 22. He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, which pause right there. By the way, when he's talking about brother and sister, he's not using some sort of generic terms. He's talking about the people that are in this room today people that would call themselves Christ followers. He's talking to the church. He says anybody that would say that they're angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, because you gotta say it like that, right? Is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And if you'll read this passage, it has this kind of progressive nature to it to where it builds and it builds and it builds on it. But it's interesting that Jesus, the illustration that he, use, he uses has to do with what? Words. The words that we say to one another. And that first one, it, you know, we're not gonna get into it, but, but he says raka, which how many of you, you call, you've called somebody a raka before? Some of you are like, well, what are, are we in church? Or like, what are we talking about here, right? Raka was this Aramaic word where it basically meant like empty head or blockhead or, or you know, or like, or, or stupid. And so what Jesus is saying is that, and in their culture, this is very, very important for us. In their culture, uh, words, you could take somebody to court based on what they said to you. How, many of you. how many people in here, you have somebody in your life that you could take to court based on the words they said to you? Say yeah, right, right? Can you imagine, can you imagine how that would jam up our court system? It's like, Your Honor, what, ha- you know, like, uh, what, what happened? 
Well, here's the thing. I was, uh, I was, I was pulling on to the 805, and this person yelled out, you blockhead, right? It's like they would jam up the courts forever. But he says, you rock a, and, and it, would have been, it would have been a big deal, but then it go, and it was something that you would have done, but then it goes on and he says, you fool, and you fool was more of an identity thing. It was more like saying, rather than you did something stupid, to saying, you are stupid. And the reason it was a big deal in their culture and should be a big deal in ours is because what they did was they stripped them of their identity and they called them an idiot. They called them something that they weren't. And that's why it was a big deal. But Jesus is showing and he's laying out this picture about how anger plays out in our life. Because we all sit here and think, I don't have an anger problem. Well, you mean that thing that I said to that other person? Well, they deserved it. Right? They were, they were doing that. They were acting like, oh, oh, you mean the way that I think about my family member? Well, you have no idea what they've done to me. And we sit back and we think, oh, this isn't an issue for me. But Jesus says it's progressive. And then he says the second thing. And, and you can go home and read 20 to 26 uh, today. But he uses, a, he uses a financial metaphor to describe what anger costs us. In verse 26, he says, truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You will not get out. And he uses this financial metaphor, he uses this prison metaphor. He says, you will not get out of the prison that anger will, will imprison you with until you have paid that last penny. He's trying to paint as, as vivid as a picture as he can of what anger does in our life. And in the spirit of that, in the light of what we just read, let me ask you these two questions. What has anger cost you? And where is it still costing you? What has anger cost you? This is something we don't, we don't think about. But what has it cost us? And where is it still costing us? Where are we still living our lives in response to some hurt that happened to us when we were in the fifth grade? Where are we still living out our lives, right? And, and the gap continues to widen between our spouse, us and our spouse. Where is it, what does it cost you and where is it still costing you? And I want that question to sit for a moment as we transition to the solution part. Because now here's the question, what do we do about it? What do we do about our anger? What do we do about the things that we have experienced? Here's the irony of where we're going this morning. The irony is, is that in the kingdom of God, now I'm talking to people that consider themselves Christ followers. If you are a Christ follower, then God has invited you to live within his kingdom. And within his kingdom, he has a new way of living out our life. And so the irony of when we have anger, here's how God invites us to deal with our anger. He says, guess this, it's your responsibility to make it right. It's your job to make it right. What? How can it be my job? I was little when that happened. How can it be my responsibility to make it right? The injustice that I experience, how, how can it be my job to make it right? This is what God invites us into. He says this in verse 23 and 25, and this is from the message translation. Now remember, these are the words of Jesus, and he is calling people to live a new way. He says, this is how I want you to conduct yourselves in these matters. 
If you enter your place of worship and you're about to make an offering and suddenly you remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then, come back and work things out with God. Or say you're out on the street and an old enemy accosts you, don't lose a minute. For the fir- make the first move. Make things right with him. Listen, I am not creating the lesson plan for today. This is in the scripture. If it were up to me, we would all just say, let's go to Chick-fil-A, right? But what Jesus says is that if you want to begin to deal with the anger that's in your life, if you want to begin to deal with the thing that's keeping you from living the life I have called you to, then it is your responsibility to make it right. It's your responsibility. And if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, if we sat down and had coffee, like my story is so rough and it's so terrible. And and here's what I would want to say to you. Yes, your story gets a pass. Yes, you don't have to do this. But then, it, but then I'm reminded of the example that God has given us in, in and through the person of Jesus. Romans 5 and 8, remember, tells us this, that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while I was still a sinner, while I was over here and God had every right to suspect the worst about me, that's not what he chose. Because love chooses to believe the best. It says, well, even though I was a sinner, it tells me that Christ died for me. And this is the example that God gives us. God was the one, even though we were in the wrong, even though we were over in this place where God could have just went like this with all of humanity. He chose something different. He chose, no, I'm going to make this right. And he sends his son Jesus to the terrible death so that we could live a life we should never be able to live. You want a better example than that? I don't know if there is one. It's our responsibility to make it right. You know, after after I wrote my scathing Yelp review, and I felt so righteous, and I felt like I had showed that oil change station who was boss, and no injustice would ever be happen there again. I felt about this big. And I thought about stories of scripture, and I thought about the love that I have experienced, and I thought about the forgiveness that I have experienced, and and it just made me feel so small. And so I went back to the oil change place. And I, and I went in, and it was awkward, as you can imagine. And the same person, the manager that was working, was there. And I, and I just knew that I had to make this right. Was it their fault that my car had a, tie, a flat in it? Maybe. Did they do questionable work over here? Possibly. But it was my responsibility to make it right. And I walked in there, and I just said, hey, uh, I don't know if you remember me. I was like, was in here a few days ago, had this work done, and like, I was like, I was not a very nice person to you, and I was like, I just want you to know that like, I feel horrible about that. I feel, I'm so sorry for the way that I treated you. And you know what he said? Thanks, dude. That was it. Thanks, dude. Went back. Doesn't matter. It was my responsibility to make it right. You know, this morning, 
Before we leave, we're not leaving without you getting a chance to act on what we've said. Because here's the thing. This is just a theory in, this is just a theory until we actually begin to live this out. You see, when Jesus taught in the scriptures, when he said, hey, listen, if you there, you remember that there's a problem, he says, leave everything and go and make it right. He wasn't, he wasn't just filling pages on a book. He wasn't just trying to say something that sounded nice, but actually nobody was going to apply to their life. And so this morning, on your outlines, go ahead and grab those for me. On the back of them is a heart. It looks like this, and there's three questions on there. The question is this. The first one is who? Who do you need to make it right with? I know right now that there is somebody that has come to mind in every single person here. Because I know that we all bump into each other. Who do you need to make it right with? Brother, sister, friend, coworker? Who is that person? Where you just know that maybe it was something they have done to you, but it is your, if you are a follower of Jesus, it is your responsibility to make it right. And if you think, oh, I don't know what's gonna happen, like, I don't know what, what that's all gonna look like, let me just give you this reassuring truth. You have a good heavenly father who's got your back and is not gonna be surprised by any way that they respond, but is also not gonna change his instruction for your life. And that is, it is your responsibility to make it right. Can I tell you also what will happen if you will actually live this out? You will experience a freedom like you have never experienced in your life. Do you know how freeing, I know it's a silly example, but do you know how freeing it was when I went back into that service station and apologized? It was so freeing. Did it change that guy's life? I don't know, probably not. But it was so freeing for me. And peace just flooded over my mind and my heart about the whole situation. It told me that I was in the wrong, I, I made a mistake, or maybe they were in the wrong and they made a mistake. It didn't matter. At the end of the day, as Christ calls me to follow him, it was my responsibility to make it right. So who in your life do you need to make it right with? Second question is this, what do you need to do? I want you to be as specific as possible. Do you need to go back to someplace? Do you need to text somebody? Do you need to pick up the phone? But what is it that you need to do? And then when? And I already answered that question for you. The answer is today. The answer is today. Don't let one more day go by letting anger rob you of where God is calling you. Don't let another moment go by of allowing anger to dictate how you're gonna live your life. Don't let another moment go by.